Let me say that last line again. There are certain things that we feel to be beautiful and good, and we desire them. What are you desiring tonight? Every morning as I wake up and stumble into the kitchen, often the first thing I see is something beautiful and good. It's my coffee machine. And soon enough, as I see that beautiful and good thing, desire does follow. A desire for that freshly ground, smooth, creamy espresso coffee. That just a great way to begin the day. Can you smell it? Can you even taste it now? We all desire lots of things. What are you desiring at the moment? We have desires and they might be physical, emotional, relational or even spiritual. Some of our desires are far-fetched fantasies, like when I was a teenage boy and I longed to be the next captain of the Australian cricket team. That was a far-fetched fantasy, but it came across as a desire. Other desires are much deeper longings of our heart, a desire to be known, to be loved, to be respected, to be valued, to be in a relationship, to feel safe, to be adventurous. We all have different kinds of desires. And much of the philosophy of our age, particularly if you're a Disney movie fan, is follow your heart's desire. Whatever your heart says, just do. Follow your heart's desire. But that's easier said than done, I think, friends. Because I don't know about you, but my heart's desires are often competing and conflicting, as I have very different desires at times. So at one time, I kind of like to imagine a Saturday night where I have the energy and I just want to go out on the town and let down all the remaining parts of my hair and have an incredible night partying all night long. But then my heart also desires, knowing the busyness of life and having three children, I just long for an early night and a good night's sleep. You see, our heart's desires are often pulling us in different directions and they're often conflicting and competing. It's no wonder we often feel overextended and exhausted because our heart's desires pull us in different ways. What is the answer? What is the answer? Well, if you are a Buddhist, the problem is your desire. Famous quote from the Buddha, when we free ourselves from desire we will know serenity and freedom. That's the answer. If you want to know peace and serenity and freedom, you must rid yourself of all desire. However, the Bible says something different. The Bible says that desire in and of itself is not evil or wrong or that you have to free yourself from. In fact, in Psalm 145, God says he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And you might remember Jesus in the gospel, he desired good food and fine wine, even to the point that some of the religious leaders of the day accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Desire itself is not a problem, according to the Bible, but it does need to be oriented correctly in a Godward direction. And that is the kind of desire I want to suggest we see in Song of Songs, chapter 6 and 7 tonight. The section tonight begins at the end or towards the end of chapter 6, just after our man, our husband, has been pondering again just how beautiful and precious and amazing his wife is. 
that her hair is like flocks of goats and that she has all her teeth and that's really good and they're clean, she's brushed them. Now it's hard to know exactly in verse 11 and verse 12 who is actually speaking. The Holman version that we have says it's the the wife that's speaking, the NIV says it's the husband that's speaking, so we're not particularly sure who is speaking but I don't think it really matters because the point becomes very clear, there is a growing desire for each other. So much so that the husband or the wife says in verse 12, before I knew it, my desire put me among the chariots of my noble people. Either his desire for her has been aroused or her desire for him has been aroused. But what does it mean that it it put them among the chariots of the noble people? What on earth is that talking about? Well, any line in the Song of Songs is difficult to know for certainty what any of it's talking about. But I have a hint. Back in chapter 3, you might recall, there was a, a, a picture, as I thought it would, was, of Solomon's chariot coming out of the desert. And as we were meant to look at Solomon's chariot, we were meant to see uh, a, a bed of lust and conquest and, and power. Could it be that as this lovely couple have these strong physical desires growing for one another, they realise that there are other people out there who have those same strong physical desires, maybe the young men for his wife? It could be because what follows next in verse 13 is the youth of Jerusalem, maybe it's the young men, and they shout out, Come back, come back, Shulamite. That's another way of talking about the wife, the beloved. Come back, come back, that we may look at you or gaze upon you, which is exactly what happens as people are invited to look at Solomon's chariot bed in chapter 3. But the husband says to them, they have no right to look lustfully at his wife. And so he says to them, why are you looking at the Shulamite as you look at the dance of the two camps? Now, I have no idea what the dance of the two camps are. Maybe it was an exotic or erotic ancient Israelite dance. And and these young stallions of Jerusalem are saying to his wife, dance for us that we might look upon you with lust. And he says to them, no, she's mine, not yours. I don't know if you remember the song that Michael Jackson uh, co-wrote with Paul McCartney on his Thriller album. I don't know if they co-wrote it, but they at least co-sung it. The song was, This Girl Is Mine. And there's this kind of argument between Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney through the song, The Girl Is Mine, No, The Girl Is Mine, No, The Girl Is Mine, No, The Girl Is Mine. That's like what's happening here in Song of Songs, chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. The husband turns to the young men and says, Eyes off, this girl is mine. She may be a dancer, yes, but she's my dancer, not yours. And it's interesting because as he then moves on to describe her beautiful body again, where does he start, chapter 7, verse 1? Her feet. Maybe this dancer idea, metaphor, has been running around in his mind and so that's where he starts this time. He doesn't end there, of course. He, He moves up her legs to her navel, her waist, her breasts her neck, her nose, her hair, her head. In the previous chapter, he's gone from the head to the toe, now he's gone from the toe back to the head. But it's the same point. This girl is mine. 
and I am in love with her. Everybody else, eyes off. She's mine. And it's clear that in verse 6 to 9 that his body wants to follow where his eyes have been. Have a look again at verse 6. He says, How beautiful you are and how pleasant my love with such delights. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrance of your breath like apricots. Your mouth is like fine wine. And if you're visiting us tonight, yes, the Bible talked about breasts more than once in that passage. It is a bit strange to our ears, but as his eyes have seen his wife, his body wants to follow. His desire, at least physical desire, has been aroused. And what is her response? Well, we see in the next section, verse 9 to 13, like in previous chapters, his words of adoration, his passionate pleas have been welcomed warmly. Verse 9 to 13, your mouth is like fine wine flowing smoothly for my love. And I just love that the wife breaks into there because the man is speaking about her mouth and then she says, flowing smoothly for my love gliding past my lips and teeth. I belong to my love and his desire is for me. Come, my love, let's go to the field. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. Let's go early to the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded, if the blossom has opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance and at our door is every delicacy new as well as old. I have treasured them up for you, my love. For you. For you. His desire is for her and her desire is for him. I don't know if you remember chapter 4 and we said that that was probably one of the most erotic pieces of all pieces of writing in history, let alone the Bible. This one gets pretty close, I would imagine, as well. But she willingly responds to his advance. She leads him. Let's go out to the fields. Let's go out to the vineyards. Remember, that's our happy place. Let's spend some quality time together. There is a mutual desire and they willingly give themselves to each other. So I don't think you can read this part of God's word and think that God is anti-desire. The word desire is repeated over and over again. And, and here it's seen as a good thing. Yes, there is a rejection of the lustful desires of the young men or the young women in Jerusalem who just want someone to dance for them. There is a rejection of that kind of desire, but there is an affirmation, a, a, a godly desire between a husband and his wife. A husband and wife are not just to like each other, they're not just to live with each other, they are meant to long for each other and to love each other and to desire to be with each other. Throughout this series, I've tried to show you that I believe the Song of Songs is meant to be this living picture, this illustration of what true intimacy, love, marriage ought to look like if you follow the pattern of God in the Garden of Eden. And throughout the song, and even in chapter 6 and 7, there's lots of echoes of the Garden of Eden, of fruits, of trees, of fertility, of paradise. And remember, desire was there right back in the beginning. 
in the Garden of Eden. As God creates Eve and walks Eve, I like to think that God walked Eve down the garden aisle to Adam. And Adam's first words were, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, this girl is mine. Thank you, God. Desire is aroused right there in the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2. The problem is, of course, as I mentioned last week, we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. And so frustration and conflict mark all of our relationships today, both intimate, family, work relationships. Even our desires of our heart are frustrated and affected by sin and selfishness. It's interesting, I read this week that the Hebrew word for desire that appears in Song of Songs 6 and 7 is the same Hebrew word for desire that appears in Genesis 3, 16, after Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. One of the consequences of that rebellion is that Eve will now desire her husband, not in some physical intimacy kind of way, but a desire to be over him, to have power over him which Genesis 3.17 says the man will respond with power and force as well. He will rule over you. So even our desires have been frustrated by sin. And we do see that played out in all of our relationships. Our friends, our work colleagues, as we use our position to manipulate others to get power, or we use our power to get things from other people, I don't know if you've seen that in your workplace or in your families. We see it all the time as people try to exert power over others to get something for themselves, either to make them feel better, either to put themselves higher in the social pecking order or whatever it might be. And we also see it in the most intimate of relationships within marriage. And as we think about the bedroom, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the problem of domestic violence and pornography and particularly when men are participating in those things it's often to exert power over somebody for instant gratification that they have control or it's all about their pleasure over the last couple of weeks i've received a few comment cards and said why have you been hammering the men so much over the last few weeks well i'm just being real and applying God's word. But let me say something to the women tonight. Please don't write any angry comment cards. But women can use their power and their position to manipulate as well. Russian spies have known this for ages. There's a quote from a KGB general that said, Americans ask their men to stand up. We just simply ask our women to lie down because they knew that women have power to manipulate, to use their bodies to get what they need, to get what they want. And it's not unheard of for wives, even Christian wives, to give affection, to manipulate their husbands to get something from them. Or maybe even withhold affection to punish them for something that they did or didn't do. But the couple here in Song of Songs have turned away from that Genesis 3.16 idea of desire. Their desire is not to be over somebody, to rule, to gain power. Their desire is just to be with each other, to give pleasure to the other. It's interesting 
the wife's invitation to her husband here in chapter 7, let's go out to the field, echoes almost word for word Cain's invitation to Abel in Genesis chapter 4, where Cain turns to Abel, let's go out to the field. What happens to poor old Abel in the field? Power, manipulation, destruction, death. The wife turns to the husband here in Song of Songs, let's go out to the field. But what's the result? Intimacy, pleasure, satisfaction, closeness. There's a difference between godly desire and ungodly desire. If you don't remember anything tonight, remember this. Godly desire is a desire to be with someone, not over someone. It's a desire to be with someone for who they are, not what they can do for you or how they make you feel. Just a desire to be with them, to share life, to serve and to give, not to get or to gain power. But in a post-Eden world, how do we live that reality out? Because we're all so self-centered. Power is so attractive to every one of us. How do we live this out? Well, again, I hope that you've seen throughout this series, the relationship of this idyllic couple is meant to point beyond them. It's also uh, an illustration of God's great desire and love for his people and how much he has given us in his son, Jesus. And of course, in Christ, we do see an ultimate picture and application of that truth, that godly desire is to be with, not over. So when Jesus' disciples were arguing amongst themselves in Mark chapter 10 about who has the most power, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus turned to them and said, what are you doing? Don't you know that even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is divine, godly desire. Rather than seeking to grasp after power at all costs, Jesus left the Garden of Eden, if you like, and he came to the Garden of Gethsemane, to a place of pain and darkness and suffering so that you and I could be brought into the light and know relationship with a loving God forever and ever and ever. So the first and foremost piece of wisdom, if you want to see godly desire in your heart, remember the gospel. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because there don't you, you don't just see an example of godly desire, you see an inspiration of it for your life. And it works like this. If you're as a Christian, if you know that you are deeply loved by God, not because of anything in you or what you can accomplish or what you have done, you don't need to manipulate other people to get something. If you trust in Christ, you have everything that ultimately matters already. You don't need to use people. You don't even need to withdraw from people out of some desire to protect yourself from harm. You can release yourself to be loving and giving to other people because either way that is received, you know that you are secure in Christ and safe with Him. You don't need to use your position to gain power. You have everything in Christ. And that's why I'm always saying, particularly to young Christians, as you think about the future and as particularly you think about marriage. It's why it's so important that Christians marry other Christians. 
It's so important. Because when it works best, and I know it doesn't always work best, but when it does work best, a Christian husband and a Christian wife, at the heart of their desire is the same thing. They both want to desire and please God and they both know that they are loved and secure in God. And so that releases them not to be so worried about what the other person thinks of them or is the other person just using me? They are free just to give themselves willingly and freely out of love to the other person, knowing that they are secure in Christ and that the other person, their spouse, is secure in Christ as well. And so there's this mutual love and giving of each other. It's a beautiful picture. When a Christian marries a non-Christian, there's always that element of doubt. Now, I know Christian marriages aren't always perfect, but when they do work well, it is a glorious picture of godly desire in the gospel. Now, of course, that, and particularly physical desire, ebbs and flows, doesn't it, over time? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie American Beauty. It's an old movie now, but there's this wonderful scene where a husband and wife, their physical desire for one another has started to fade, as it does all of us over time. But for some reason, there just comes this moment of passion and they start getting physical with each other. But before it goes too far, she turns and says to him, her husband, stop, this is a $4,000 couch. You're going to mess it up. And isn't that just like life? So often our desires, even good desires, to be with our beloved just get distracted by other priorities that aren't that important. So how in this post-Eden world can we stoke those fires, those good desires for each other, particularly if we are married? Well, a couple of pieces of wisdom to close that I think comes from this chapter tonight and from the entire letter or song of songs. Firstly, fill your imagination with your beloved. Fill your imagination with your beloved. As I said last week, it can be so tempting to always see the negative in other people and that will always feed bitterness and resentment. But if you're filling your mind with what is good about the other person, even though they may not be perfect, but you're filling your mind with what's good about them, you know, husbands, what is good about your wife? Is it that she has all her teeth or she's got a nose like a Tower of Lebanon? I don't know what it is, but meditate on it, fill your mind with it and tell her how beautiful she is. That's a constant message throughout Song of Songs. And then wives, what is it that you adore most about your husband? Is it that his body is like an ivory panel? Mine is not, but maybe your husband's is. I'm hoping my wife adores me for other reasons, and I'm sure she does. But imagine, fill your mind with those things and tell each other, desire will follow. Second piece of wisdom, return to places where desire was first kindled. Return to those places where desire was first kindled. It's interesting that the happy couple in the Song of Songs are often seen where? Out in the fields, out in the vineyards, under the, the trees and amongst the henna blossoms. That is where desire was first kindled for them and they return to that place over and over. It's their happy place. It's the place they feel most in love with each other and connected and maybe you're in a dry patch in your marriage at the moment. Your desire for your husband or your wife is not quite there. 
Maybe this is a good piece of wisdom for you to follow the example of the couple in Song of Songs. Return to those places where desire was first kindled. Think about your honeymoon if you're married, if you had a honeymoon. Can you go back there? Think about those glorious weekends away before you had kids. The Hunter Valley, the Blue Mountains, wherever it might be. Can you go back there and rekindle those desires for each other. And this works in all sorts of relationships, not just marriage. Think about friendships. And maybe you have fallen out with a friend or there's just been a disconnection between you and a good friend. This principle still applies. Return to those places where your friendship was first formed, where that connection was strong. Was it being a member of a sporting team? Was it at that cafe or that pub or, or wherever? Invite your friend to go back there and go, remember when we... And those friendships can be strengthened. And it's the same in our relationship with God. Return to the place, if your desire for God has started to wane, return to the place where that desire was first kindled. Every month, and tonight we're going to do it, and that is share together in the Lord's Supper. And we do that because in this meal, which is symbolic, points beyond itself to the great act of love that God has shown us in his son Christ. And that's where our love for God was first kindled, when we remembered that God so loved the world that he gave his son for me, that I might live. And you don't want to just hear that once. You want to keep hearing that message over and over again because it does something on your heart and it makes you love and desire God even more. And we're going to share that later in our time together. And the last piece of wisdom for stoking desire is this. Be generous. Be generous with each other, particularly with your words. That is, again, a constant message of Song of Songs, that the husband and the wife are just constantly speaking these words of adoration and kindness to each other. And a kind word doesn't cost you very much, but it can have a profound impact on your relationship. And like the couple here in Song of Songs, why don't you be generous and try new things in your relationship? You know, I said return to those old places to rekindle desire, but you don't need to just do that. You can try new things together as well. Husbands, go ballroom dancing with your wife when Miss is not here. She was at this morning and she went, yes, that's what we're doing. Try something new. Go rock climbing or skydiving or whatever it might be for you. Try something new. And also physically with each other. The bedroom ought never to get mundane and predictable. Try old things and new things. Whatever is pleasing to you and is giving to the other. Be generous. Now, of course, I recognise that particularly when it comes to physical desire, it can change over time. Uh, Ness and I run this pre-marriage course for young couples thinking about getting married and, and one of the sessions is talking about physical intimacy and we try and encourage them that physical intimacy changes over time so that when you're 70 or 80 or 90, it might be different to when you're 21. Physical desire doesn't leave, but it can change. And the video, the video clip that we like to show is between an old couple and the wife turns to the husband and says, desire doesn't leave, it does change. And there's nothing I like more than a good back rub. 
And everyone goes, hmm. But desire never leaves, but it can change. It's all about giving, being generous, thinking about the other, being with them, not over them. So is desire a problem? Well, it can be if it's a a self-focused desire for power. But if it's a godly desire oriented towards him and the benefit of others, it is a good desire. And I hope you can see it. Let's pray. Father, we know that every part of this world is not, uh, has been, sorry, touched by sin. Everything is frustrated and fractured, even our own hearts and our desires. We can so often be self-serving, seeking to grasp power for ourselves. But Father, we thank you that in Christ our desires can be renewed, that as we ponder your great love for us in him, that frees us just to love others for who they are, not to gain things from them, but to be with them. And we thank you for the pleasure, the joy, the satisfaction that our relationships can experience when we follow that good, godly desire. Strengthen us by your spirit to live that out this week, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to return to a familiar place in just a moment. Uh, It's the Lord's Supper. And although this might be very familiar to you, it ought to be still very significant to you and your desire for God, as you remember his desire for you, ought to be re-stoked. I'm going to set up, so I'm just going to give you a moment to pray.